Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. I like that. Happy New Year. Almost, right? We have a few hours. My name is Aaron Bauer. I'm the children's pastor here at Ocean View. Pastor Terry is actually, he, he spent the last couple of days in New Orleans, which I did not say correctly. I know there's like supposed to be like a slur or something, New Orleans, something like that. And um, he was down there for something sports related. I don't do sports if you know me. I don't understand them, but it's something to do with offense, defense, All-American something bowl. And if you know what that is, he was down there. He had the opportunity to speak to uh, thousands of high school and college students and uh, just an awesome opportunity for him. And so we're glad that, and grateful that he was able to do that. And so uh, I'm here today getting to talk to all of you guys. So I'm really excited about this opportunity as well. And I'm also very excited that it is New Year's Eve day in the morning. There was some confusion earlier. People were like, are we having evening service? I said, no. They're like, it says New Year's Eve on the sign. I said, Yes, New Year's Eve day. That's just how it is. So glad you're here with us this morning. This is a weird time of year. Um, I sense it. I think some of you probably sense it as well because we had Christmas, right, last week, and I hope you had a great one. Um, we travel around a lot. We can spend time with family, and then we roll right into New Year's. And for me, it's like this weird kind of tension um, where you're like really excited about Christmas, and then you realize all of a sudden, oh, it's a new year. And you have like all this apprehension and anxiety about the past year, but you're also really excited about the next year that's coming, and it's this weird kind of moment. And the most apprehensive New Year's that I can think of in my lifetime occurred on December 31st, 1999. Now, some of you are like, what is the significance of that date? If you said that, it means that you're, you're not like, you're not 30, okay? That's what that means. Um, those of us who do remember that, we remember that the world was about to end on December 31st, 1999. And by the way, my wife shared this with me. This is completely bonus. My wife shared this with me last night. That's something she saw on the internet, so it's true. It, they said this. This is the only day, today, is the only day where everyone who is a minor under the age of 18 uh, was born in the 2000s. And everyone who is an adult was born in the 1900s. So just think about that for a moment. This is the only day in history where that's true because tomorrow all of those 17-year-olds are going to turn 18 and then it's ruined. So today is historic. But so was December 31st, 1999. That was a good segue. So December 31st, 1999. There was, yes, Y2K. See, I'm not crazy. Y2K. How many of you remember Y2K? All, yeah, all of us older folks. Yes, yeah, Y2K. Remember that. Y2K, if have I just said that you have no idea what that is, let me just quickly bring you up to speed, and for some of you, maybe it'll be a refresher, all right? So December 31st, 1999, everyone thought the world was going to end, and here's why. Here's a quick recap, all right? So computers were this, this thing that were invented in, you know, the late 1900s, 80s and 90s of the 1900s, and uh, they were starting to take over everything, all right? Computers just everywhere. Now, computers, for those of you that don't know, are these big boxes... Um, that sit on, they would sit prominently in like a living room or someplace like that. This is before iPhones, before tablets, before all of that. In fact, if, if you have a phone, an iPhone right now, it would probably be like the equivalent of 100 of these big boxes, okay? So these big boxes would sit there and everyone had them in their homes, but they were also starting to be implemented everywhere else. So like air traffic control, 
right? Energy grids. Um, anything you can imagine was being run by computer by this point. And it was all connected together on what we came to now know as the internet. Um, back then they called it the World Wide Web, which is weird. All right. So what happened was these really smart computer tech people, they said, um, hey guys, we're really excited about the new year. There's just one little thing, one little problem. We're all like, what? What's the problem? This is great. It's a new year. Technology, computers. They're like, no, no, no. Yeah, that's great. There's just one thing. See, you know that clock that's on your computer? And we're like, yes, the clock. We love the clock. Without the clock in the bottom of our screen, we wouldn't know what time it is. We wouldn't know the day. We wouldn't know anything. We love the clock. And they're like, yeah, that clock. There's just one little problem. A lot of these computers, we only program two digits for the year. And we're like, so what's the problem? They're like, because here's the problem. Right now, the computer thinks it's 1999, but it only reads it as 99. And on the first of the year 2000, it's going to go to 00. And the computers will think that it's 1900, a time before computers existed. And the entire world will shut down. That was the fear and anxiety and apprehension moving into December 31st, 1999. So everyone was on edge wondering, all right, is the world coming to an end? And it was a lot of fear built up into this, okay? There were books written about Y2K. There were people building bomb shelters in underground. There were people stockpiling food and water, and we laugh about it now. But somewhere in the West, I feel like there's some colony that is still in existence that thinks the world come to an end. That's just in my imagination. It's still over there. But... Everyone thought that it was going to be over. So you either thought it's over, the world is coming to an end, or you thought, nah, we'll just patch it, it'll be fine. So everyone is sitting, December 31st, New Year's Eve, 1999, in anticipation of what's going to happen when the clock strikes midnight. What is going to happen? And I remember gathering at a friend's house, about 40 or 50 of us in a family, friend's house of my family and all these other families, and I just found out this morning that my in-laws were there. How crazy is that? And my wife was there. I didn't know her then really at the time how crazy anyway so we're all gathered at this house and we're watching tv's dick clark count it down you have to say tv's dick clark whenever you mention him because tv owned him you probably don't know him tv's dick clark we would count down and we're all watching what's going to happen because we're you know it's new york city is everything going to shut down and we're looking and we're like five four three two one all the power in the house went off all the apprehension and anxiety in that moment. And we realized the world is coming to an end. And then we hear laughter from the back hallway. (laughs) And it's my dad in a house that is not his playing with the fuse box (laughs) to shut down all the power in the house. He flips it back on. And of course we're like, come dad you know and it's this moment where it's like oh this anxiety and this apprehension feeds into that and the same thing happens every single year and it happens right after christmas and i wonder why it happens in my life i know what happens in yours don't lie there's all this anticipation for for christmas right and we love christmas right this is goodwill towards men there's peace there's joy it's wonderful it's exciting there's some tension with christmas right because we know it's a new year and we want to start that, that diet, but we also want to eat all the pie. And we also want to spend time with family. And then there's also family that we have to spend time with. And there's this weird kind of tension there. We like to give gifts. We don't like the credit card bill that comes later. So it's this weird moment. 
And we love Christmas, but the day after Christmas, it was so funny because I was thinking about this and then I saw it happen. I saw people, some of you, on Facebook the next day, Instagram, some friends of mine, they're all like, what happened to this year? Where did it go? Where has the time gone? And we wonder, where did it go? What happened to this year? But you know, I don't think that's really what we're feeling. That's not the question. We know where the time went. I mean, we, we used it all. It's gone. I think what we're asking when we have that feeling, when we feel that tension in us, I think what we're actually feeling is, man, another year has passed. And I had all these plans. I had all these goals. I had all these resolutions. I had all these things I was going to do. And another year has gone by, and I didn't do them. And we feel that. And we also feel the anxiety and anticipation of getting to do that all over again in the next year. And I was thinking about this and just this weird dynamic. And I, got, I was thinking, there has to be something more than that, right? Like, that's, like we don't do this every year. It's not a surprise. And I was thinking about that. And then God reminded me of something. Because I had goals. And those, those are good things. Good to set goals. Good to have resolutions. I mean, I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But God said, listen, you have your checklist. I don't really operate that way. I don't have my checklist the same way you do. I see things very differently. And so I was thinking about that in anticipation of today. And I was reminded of a story um, about a guy who comes to see Jesus and he asks him a question. And it's a really important question to ask. And it's a question that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have asked at some point in your life. And if you're in this room, the chances are that you have probably asked this at some point in your life, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're watching online, if you have questions and you're trying to figure this whole thing out, this is probably a question that has come across your mind or your heart at some point in your life. And the question is really simple. So let's take a look at it. This is from Matthew chapter 19. Here is the question. Just just then, a man came up to Jesus. He asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to receive eternal life? Now, that's a great question. If you're a follower of Jesus, again, you've asked this question. What do I need to do to have eternal life? If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you ask that question. What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus' response is kind of interesting. This is what he said. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus said. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter the kingdom, obey the commandments. Now, that's an interesting response because we know that eternal life is only found through Jesus. But I think Jesus is about to teach us and this guy something more than just obeying commands. All right, so let's take a look. This guy says, which ones? Now, that's a really good follow-up question. All right, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Obey the commandments. Which ones specifically? Could you list them for me? We like our lists, don't we? This guy really liked his list. He had one. Now, Before we read the rest of this, I just want to pretend for a moment that this conversation took place on December 31st of whatever year this was, okay? Can we just pretend that for a moment, just for illustration purposes? December 31st, it's been a whole year has passed since this guy made his resolutions and his list. And here is what Jesus said. Here's the list that Jesus gave. He said, don't murder. And this guy's like, check. I've gone this whole year, didn't murder anybody. Do not commit adultery. Check. Did not do that. Made that resolution last year. Did not commit adultery this year. It's gone well. Do not steal. Check. Didn't do that. Do not be a false witness. Check. Didn't do that. Honor your father and your mother. Check. I totally did that every day this year. I haven't lied. I haven't dishonored my parents all year long. Wouldn't that be great if you could do that? And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this guy says, 
I've done all of this. Look at what he says. I've obeyed all these commands, this guy says. What else do I need to do? Now, this is really interesting to me. I've obeyed all of these. What else? If you're going to ask Jesus a question, and you really believe that he was who he said he was, and he gives you this list, and you say, I've done all of that, wouldn't you be like, I'm done? It's like he knew instinctively, somewhere in his heart, that it, that wasn't enough. The list wasn't enough. He knew that it wasn't about keeping a list because he asked the question, I've done all of that. What else is there? What more is there? Because that can't be it. I've done that, but I know that's not enough. What am I missing? That's a really good question. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Did you just know that keeping that list, there's got to be more than that? This is what Jesus said. If you want to be perfect, go and sell everything you have. Give the money to those who are poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And this is what the guy does. He hears this and he went away sad. Why? He was very rich. He went away sad. Now, this is interesting to me. And I've never really looked at it this way before because Jesus gave him this list. And the bottom of that list that Jesus gave him was what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy says, no problem. I've done that. And then Jesus says, great. If you've really done that, why do you still have so much stuff? Go get rid of it. Sell it to all those people. It's like this guy had a wrong idea of who his neighbor was. Because if he really loved his neighbors as himself, he would have seen all those poor people who were in need and he would have already given that stuff away. It's like Jesus was saying, you say you love your neighbor as yourself, but you're still hoarding all this stuff for yourself. Why haven't you done anything with it? I don't know that Jesus is saying to you and I to go sell all of our stuff. I'm just saying in this specific case, that's what Jesus was saying. There was one thing he lacked and he went away sad. Do you know what a big cause of stress in people's life is? It's when people say they believe one thing or they say that one thing is a priority and their lifestyle, their actions do not equal that. It's incongruent. So they might say they believe this, but their actions show otherwise and then it causes stress in their life. This guy went away sad because he was pointed out by Jesus. You say you love your neighbor, but you're not really loving your neighbor. There's a gap there. I find that really interesting. James said it a different way. We're going to look at James chapter 1 real quick. In James chapter 1, um, he said this. This is a letter that James wrote. He said, don't, don't just listen to the word. You fool yourself. You must do what it says. It's not enough to just know that you should love your neighbor as yourself. You actually have to do it. It's not enough to just hear it. You have to do something with it. Look what else he says. Suppose someone listens to that word, but they don't do what it says. They're like a person who looks at their face in a mirror. And when they've seen it, after looking at themselves, they leave. And right away, they forget what they look like. For some of us, that was this morning. Our hair's all messed up. Usually mine is, but my wife made sure I look good before I left today. So appreciate that. But usually it's, I'm a mess, right? Usually guys, we look in the mirror and we forget and then we just move on with our day, right? I think that's why there's mirrors installed in every, like everywhere, bathrooms, restaurants, everywhere. So we can always remember what we look like. So we can constantly fix it. 
And James says, listen, it's like when you're a natural person, you just look in the mirror, you walk away, you forget what you look like, it's over and done. But look at this. Suppose someone takes a good look at the perfect law that gives freedom. Suppose someone takes a look at the perfect law, remember that, that gives freedom, and they keep looking at it. Suppose they don't forget what they've heard. Suppose instead, that instead of forgetting what they've heard, that they actually do what that perfect law that gives freedom says. Then this person will be blessed in what they do. Now, if that's true, I want to know what is that perfect law. And of course, you and I know, on this side of history, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the perfect law. But because we like lists, someone asked Jesus one time, What is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest law? And Jesus answered. And this list looks very different than the one he gave the rich guy earlier. He makes it very simple. He boils it down to two things. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, you probably know this. You probably have heard this, but it's a good reminder. Jesus said, listen, the greatest commandment all falls on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second, by the way, is equal to it. To what? Love your neighbor as yourself. On this, everything else hangs on. That's the shelf that we build everything on. Love God and love others. All your rules, all your laws, all of that hangs on this. So when Jesus is talking to that guy who asked him that question, you murder, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie. He gets down to it and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that guy says, yeah, I have. And Jesus says, hmm, your actions don't match that. All that other stuff falls on this. Do you love God? Do you love others? Everything hinges on that. Your lists, your rules, your laws, all of that stuff. In the long run, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. Paul said it, Paul said it this way. This is really, really great. I want to look at, um, at what Paul said. Now, to set this up, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks a lot about the body of Christ and how if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a part to play in the body of Christ. And, and we all have a different part to play. If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a part of his body, then you might be like, you might be like the arm or the eye or the pinky toe. Some of you might be the armpit. Think about it. Not too much, though. It stinks. Um, We all have a part to play in the body of Christ. And then Paul mentions something else right after that, right after he talks about all the roles that you have to play and how you should play and how you can be a part. And everyone has a part to play and everyone has something to contribute. He follows it up with this idea in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, suppose I speak in the languages of human beings or of angels. And if I don't have love, guess what? I'm only a loud gong. I'm just a loud noise, a noisy symbol. Look what else. Suppose I have the gift of prophecy. Suppose I can understand all the secret things of God and know everything about him. And suppose I have enough faith to move mountains. If I don't have love, I am nothing at all. That's so interesting to me. Suppose that I know everything about him. Suppose that I have memorized every word of this book. Suppose that I know all the history that's associated with it. Suppose I know everything there is to know about God. If I don't have love, I have nothing. If I can move mountains, but I'm not moving it because I love my neighbor as myself, it doesn't matter. 
Doesn't matter. What's the point? Meaningless. Look what else he says. Paul says this about what love is. Suppose I give everything I have to poor people. Isn't that what Jesus asked that one guy to do? Suppose he had done it. Suppose I give everything I have to poor people. Suppose I give myself over to a difficult life so I can brag. If I don't have love, I get nothing at all. Even if that guy had given everything he had to poor people, I don't think it would have mattered. Because I don't know that he understood the love that God had for him and the love that he was supposed to have for other people. If it was just an action, if it was just something he could check off, I don't know. I don't know that it would have mattered a great deal. Let's look at what love actually is. Paul says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't want what belongs to others. It does not brag. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor other people. It does not look out for its own interests. It does not easily become angry. It does not keep track of other people's wrongs. How many of us have done that this year? How many of you kept track of somebody else's wrongs against you? Love is not happy with evil, but it is full of joy when the truth is spoken. It always protects. It always trusts. Love always hopes. Love never gives up. Love never fails, he goes on to say. This idea that we can have love for other people, a love for God that is perfected in everything and our actions flow out of it. It's not just words, but is manifested through love into this world. He goes on to say this. Right now, we only see a dim likeness of things. It is as if we were seeing them in a foggy mirror. There's that mirror reference again. James had a mirror reference also. Someday we will see clearly. Someday we will see face to face. What I know now isn't complete. But someday I will know completely just as God knows me completely. When we look in that mirror, we want to see Jesus. That's the completion for us to look like him. For that love to be so in our lives that it flows out of us to change the world around us. That we love God and we love others. We love our neighbor as ourselves. It is that love that that flows from us, that causes us to love our neighbor as ourself. That's not just words. It's not just something we heard. It's not just something we read, but it's actually put into action. And that's what changes the world around us. I wonder if this guy, this one thing that he knew he was lacking because his list wasn't enough. He knew his list wasn't enough. That one thing, that linchpin that changed it from a list to a relationship with God, with people, was love. This really has to do with obedience in a way. I think you and I have a great deal of knowledge about what is right, what is wrong, what to do, what not to do. If you're a follower of Jesus or you have been for a number of years, you've probably strived to be obedient in a lot of things. You've probably tried to keep that list up really well. And Jesus says, listen, listen, listen. Do you love God? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? At the end of the day, it has to fall on that. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because if we're going to be obedient, it really starts there. Someone told me once... um, 
And I think it's true for me. I know it's true for me. I, I accepted Jesus when I was six. And so I know it's true for me. I know that, that my level of knowledge about what is right, about what God wants for my life, is often superior to my level of obedience. Like, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but sometimes I make it so hard and so difficult that I'm just quite content to just know more, to just have a little bit more this time. And I never actually do anything with that action to actually go and love my neighbor as myself. See, because when it starts from love, it changes everything. It's not about the list. It's about the relationship with God. It's about your relationship with other people. Look at this thing that Paul said. This is in 1 Corinthians, um, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5. He said, Christ's love control us. We are sure that one person died for everyone, and so everyone died. And look, Christ died for everyone. Why? He died so that those who live might not live for themselves anymore. They should live for Christ. He died for them and was raised again. That's, that's what starts with us. The idea that, loves, that the love of Christ controls us, there's another way to say that. The love of Christ compels us to do something. I have a question for you this morning. And it's a question that only you can answer. It's similar to the question that the guy asked Jesus. And, and it's, it's a question that I, can't, I wish I could answer for you, but it's going to look different for everybody because remember, it's love God, love other people. Here's the question. Are you being obedient to what you already know that God wants you to do? The guy asked him a a list. Jesus gave him this list and he said, yes, 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 yes. But he missed the biggest one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart. Are you being obedient to what you already know God wants you to do? If I know that God wants me to love my neighbor as myself, let's just take that one. It's real simple. Am I actually being obedient to that? Do my actions show that? That's, that's a big question. And it's going to look different for all of us. But here's the thing. If I ask this question and I know in my heart the answer is no, what is the gap between yes and no in that question? You know what the gap is? Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That love should compel me beyond whatever hiccups I have in my heart to go and do that. If that guy had love, he would have sold all of his stuff. and It wouldn't even have been a question. He would have already done it. His stuff would have been gone because he would have loved his neighbor as himself. So what does that look like for us? I don't know. But I know that the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. It compels me. That's why I love working with kids and the next generation to help them know and have a relationship with Jesus. That's why we have volunteers that spend their time and energy pouring into the next generation because the love of Christ compels them that they want to see that same faith that they have in the next generation. This is why the love of Christ compels some of you to stand at a door when it's 35 degrees outside. God bless you. And greet people who are coming into this place, people who are looking for community, people who have never experienced anything like the church before. And that's awesome. The love of Christ compels us to create an environment where people can come and ask questions. The same kind of questions that this guy asked. How do I have eternal life? That's a big question. But it has to move outside the walls of this into our neighbors. Our love should compel us to invite our neighbors to our table, in our house, People who don't think like us, people who don't dress like us, people who have different beliefs, people who have different backgrounds, people who don't talk like us, to sit at our table and to be able to share something together, to have a relationship with them because I love them as I love myself. 
And I want to know more about them. I want to listen to them so that I can serve them, so that I can share Jesus with them. So this year, moving forward, whatever resolutions you have, whatever list you create, whatever you make up, I just want you to think about this. Does that hinge on loving God and loving other people? Are you going to be obedient to what he's already asked you to do? That's the resolution we should make. Can you imagine what it would be like if 900 people that call Ocean View home actually live that way? That we started loving our neighbor as ourselves? Can you imagine what that would be like to have 900 more people who didn't know about Jesus before and now all of a sudden they do because you decided and I decided that we were going to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves? That's incredible. That would be amazing. I want to go at the end of 2018. I want to be able to look back and say, man, this year I made some resolutions. I didn't keep them all. I made some lists. Couldn't check them all off. But you know what I did do? I loved God. And I have a whole new people group, right? And a whole new neighborhood of people, community that I have loved, that I have loved myself, that I've been able to share Jesus with. I think that would change everything. You guys pray with me. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for this really simple truth. And we make it so tricky sometimes. We put a lot of other things in it. Do we love you? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Do we come to you with our list so that we can brag about it? Do we say that we've done all these great things? And do you look at us and do you say, no, you've missed it. You haven't been obedient. You haven't loved me. You haven't loved your neighbor. God, help us as individuals, as a church, as a body, to look beyond the walls, to actually see the people in our city, our neighbors, people we pass every single day, people who wait our tables, people who work for us, people that we work for, people in our schools. God, that we would love them the way that you love us, that we would care for them the way that you care for us. God, I think that would change everything. God, we know that you've called us to great things, individually and as a church for 2018. We believe that. But we know that we cannot do it without love. We just don't want to be loud noises. We want it to flow from the love of Christ that compels us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.